0: Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast sponsored by Bank of England Mortgage here for the November Lending Update. I'm joined by my standing co-host on this Lending Update, Mr. Daniel Halverson. Thanks for joining us. My monthly cameo. That's right. Well, hopefully we can get a little bit more (laughs) than monthly here, but definitely last time we had a two-part series, this was not going to be as long, but it's packed full with some pretty good one-hitters. And we're going to kick it off with the basically the HTH, the Hometown Heroes Fund from the state of Florida have made their way back. And some say don't call it a comeback, Daniel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it might just be me that says don't call to come back. Well, you know that's some, um... but uh, but yeah, I mean, good news came, uh, I guess maybe a couple weeks ago now as we're recording this, and obviously, quick backstory for for the folks that aren't super familiar, but this program came out last year and was only available to specific occupations within the state of Florida, mm-hmm. and then fast forward to summer of this year, they opened it up to anyone that works for a Florida-based business and. They put $100 million of funding in there, and within three months, it was gone. Yeah, So, it uh, left a lot of people that were kind of in limbo that were hoping to use that program. And um, so, it was a nice, nice refreshing announcement to see that they're pumping another $36 million in there. That started uh, last Monday, so a week ago as we're recording this. And I wouldn't anticipate that those funds will make it probably to the end of the year based on how quickly they moved before. Now, we're not necessarily in, in peak peak buying season as we, we come to the end of the year here. But still, I mean, a good opportunity for people that were hoping to have that money that were ready to buy and simply just couldn't find a place in time, an opportunity to hopefully get them into a home by the end of the year.
0: Yeah. I, so. Much needed for the industry. Glad to see it back. And uh, Chip White and their team are doing all they can to kind of continue that funding process as we anticipate another turn here at the end of the year of more funding coming back in. And as it's been kind of, you know, kind of uh, kind of foreshadowed us, they'll be a little bit more constrictive on the on the type of occupation you have to have moving forward on this, which should help those funds last a little bit longer.
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't anticipate more money coming back until some point, probably not beginning of 2024, probably sometime later in the year. So if you got buyers that were hoping to use this money and maybe they stopped looking, you know, it's back now, but when it runs out, I wouldn't anticipate an immediate replenishment of that. Yeah. So it may be- maybe waiting a little while as we move into 2024 before more of that money becomes available. Yeah.
0: Good, good point. Good heads up. I know they're working on that over there, but still good stuff that it's back now. Take advantage of it while you can. So you got a big update that happened last week over at Bank of England, which I think is cool because not every company does what you're about to announce. And those those agents that you work with, I know are greatly going to appreciate this process as well as the title companies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, everybody loves closings that take as long as possible. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, we, uh, we made some moves to uh, eliminate that. But uh, there's been a lot of change in the mortgage industry over the last couple of years with closings moving towards more digital. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff can be signed digitally, remote online notarization. Uh, there's talks of even the note and some of the documents that have to be wet signed right now eventually becoming electronic. But I say all that to say that as part of those changes, essentially Bank of England now, a client shows up at the closing table, they can sign most of their documents before they even get there, and then sign a handful of documents. There's no, uh, there's nothing the title company has to provide us um, prior to releasing the funds at closing. Yeah. So essentially, a client shows up, five minutes of signing, loan is immediately funded, and they can you know, take the keys and move on down the road. Yeah, it's almost like an automatic
0: funding, like so. instantaneously automatic. That funding is there. Everything's there. Bar signs, keys in hands. It, how fast can you print the check? That's right. really the reality here. And the, so. jo-
1: the joke was, hey, don't show up five minutes late to closing, or you might miss the whole thing. That's so, right, exactly. Uh, so. so, so if you're arriving fashionably late to closings, you know you might might not get your photo to put on the internet.
0: So. <laughs> well, I mean, the reason this is a big deal, you're you're a buyer, you're anxious, you're ready to get your keys, you're ready to go move in. You're a seller, you're ready to sell your home, you know, and ultimately the agents are ready to see everyone happy and make that transaction complete, finalized. The last thing you want to do is have to say, oh well, let me check all the documents, to make sure everything's good. Now, now with all the automated process and electronic documentation you refer to. It's it's seriously instantaneously. So very cool update. Uh, I know that uh, many buyers and sellers are glad to see that. So, hey, let's talk about move-up buyers. They have essentially, for the most part, been labeled as non existent during the last six months, like they've ghosted the entire mortgage environment, which is kind of what we're missing in the volume is what we're missing in the units. I mean, if you're in the mortgage industry, or you're a real estate agent, you're dealing with really one or two buyers, you're dealing with a first time buyer or an all cash buyer, that seems to be the market right now, that move up buyer is gone. And they're gone because they're in the locking effect, which we have talked about immensely over and over again. So if you want to know more about that, you can check out our previous episodes. As a matter of fact, the most recent one right behind this is going to talk about locking effect. But you say there might be a solution for those move-up buyers, and I'm really interested to hear this.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that if if you were a, a lender or an agent and you go back and look at your pipeline of people that were interested but didn't do something, mm-hmm. I would venture to say that a large portion of those people were probably the move-up buyers. And if you just think about the dynamics of the housing market right now, the move-up buyer is somebody that already owns a home with a very low rate on it. Check. And they're, maybe they're running out of room. They want to get to another school district, whatever the, the reason for them wanting to move. But they apply for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, I'm going to make this much money when I sell my house. I want to buy this much house. Lender runs the numbers and payment's $1,500, $2,000 more than they're paying. And they say, we just either can't make that work right now or we don't feel that there's a strong enough reason for us to want to do that right now. And would
0: you attribute that strictly to rates right now?
1: Well, I think it's a combination of rates and prices, right? Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, rates are up. Prices are up. Homeowner's insurance is up. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few factors that uh, that are working not not in a buyer's favor right now. So, um, but rates certainly are the largest component of that, right? Right. So, uh, what we did in the lending update, uh, and I'm sure you guys will post graphics and, and whatnot here, but, you know, essentially... A, a common thing we've talked about as well is consumer debt is over a trillion dollars in credit card debt, you know. For
0: the first time ever.
1: For the first time ever. Yeah. So consumers are feeling the impacts of inflation, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so so essentially one of the things that I think that when you look at the move up buyer, a lot of times people want to make it as simple as, how much money am I going to make from the sale of my home? If I put it all into the new house, what will my mortgage payment be? Mm-hmm. And f- for people that don't have any debt, hey, that's probably the strategy, right? Right, But for the people that do have their credit card debt, maybe they do have the student loans, maybe they do have personal loans or unsecured loans at, at interest rates that are ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty, twenty five percent. There's an opportunity there where maybe they can use some of their proceeds to wipe out their debt. They don't have to put all of that money into the new house and with the impact of paying that debt off can keep their payment similar to what it would what what they're paying right now when you factor in not just their mortgage but all of the other bills that they're responsible for paying right so the the illustration, the point of that was, and this was a a real life a live example of of somebody that we spoke to, but essentially, you know when you broke the numbers down, um, if you just applied the money to the new mortgage based on what they wanted to do, they would have basically had to pay $2,600 more per month for the new house. So, not something they were interested in. That's like in, a right? whole other house. Correct. So, okay. that, so, that was basically their current <laughs> mortgage payment, right? Right. So, but when, but then we looked at, okay, well, you got about $100,000 in debt, which is not super uncommon, right? And that's, with a, especially with a car loan. You I know, was going to say, with $50, auto. $50,000 car loans and I think the average car payment's over $1,000.
0: Yes. Again, um, for the first time in history. Co-
1: correct. So, so what we did essentially is said, okay, let's wipe out all the debt. Let's put down a, a, less, a lesser amount of money. And once you factor in the, the payoff of the debt, it was a $105 difference between what they were paying currently with all their debt and their mortgage versus what their new mortgage would be without any of that debt. Dang. And you're not talking about a refinance. We're not talking about a refi. We're I talking think that's about, important
0: here because I think that's where people think we were heading. Here, we're, we're talking about a debt consolidation at purchase. Correct. We're talking
1: yeah. about a purchase for a move-up buyer. Yep. Yeah. So the debt consolidation is still using the equity in their home mm-hmm. to eliminate the debt, to then go purchase another property and have a better, you know, ha- have a way to make it work. Right. I,
0: mean, I think this is so. I think this is so important because real estate. If you're a real estate agent listening to this hell, if you're a mortgage lender listen to this, you just gave them a million bucks worth of information from a mortgage lender standpoint, but from a real estate agent, they're always asking like, how do I call my database from like a refinance perspective? I'm still trying to understand. In this particular case, you're calling for a, hey, I want to do a debt consolidation to give you more affordability. And you just went from $2,600 to $150 difference in payment. Like that's big, that's huge. And this isn't always thought of like this. Well,
1: and that's, that's just surface level too. That's just payments versus payments. right. Uh, we're not even talking about the interest savings. If mm-hmm. you really wanted to get in the weeds, what, well, the interest savings on these credit cards that you're paying, the minimum payment on, they're not going to be paid off anytime soon, right? Um, As we've discussed. The tax implications times. associated yep. with that. We're not talking about that. Um, but I think that one other thing that I would, would say is, you know, a lot of times the move-up buyers want to have these conversations at a surface level and they want to say, just tell me what my new payment would be approximately, right? <laughs> right. And, and not actually go through the, the process of applying for a loan. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to give somebody guidance like this if you don't have all the information. 100%. So if you're a real estate agent and you say, hey, uh, my buyers, Johnny and Sally, wa- want to see if they can do this, um, it's not just a, let's give them a real quick answer, right? It's, right. hey, let them speak to somebody, a, a, a competent, Mortgage advisor, get all the information and look at every angle for how to do this right. Correct. We're no longer in a three percent mortgage market where you can just drive through, you give give them your order, and then the loan officer spits it out. Right. You have to be a little bit more creative, and there's a lot of there's a lot of lenders that that are not doing things like this, even when they have all the information. They just maybe don't know where to start. They're not getting the 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 training to be able to say okay how do we do this? Not mm-hmm. to mention, you know, there's a, a pretty sophisticated software that we use to do these things. It's not something that you just pick up and do in two minutes. So there's there's training involved. And, you know, it's funny, we had a, a vendor uh, come in last week mm-hmm. and uh, provide lunch for our office. And they're a nationwide company. They work with a lot of mortgage companies uh, nationwide. And you know they, they went to uh, a few of the mortgage companies within a few miles of where our office is located and uh, lights were out, door was locked, nobody's
0: there. Wait a minute, you mean to tell me there's a person that came in town to your office with a scheduled appointment that's telling you he or she went to another office, competitor if you may, also with a scheduled appointment, lights out, door shut, no one home?
1: Well, maybe, maybe just a drop-in, maybe not a scheduled appointment, but they're, they're, they are
0: clients of this Particular vendor. So, what, did he go at 2 a.m. in the morning? No, he went during work hours. I think what you're hinting towards is that it's explaining towards the environment right now is that there, there are people better on the environment right now. So, therefore, they're just choosing, it's so hard. They're choosing not to work.
1: Well, I think my point is this if you're a real estate agent or you're a prospective buyer listening to this, mm-hmm. if the people that you're entrusting to find a way to get your customers to closing or as a customer to get you to closing and present these solutions. Are you working with the kind of person that's got the light out and the doors, Ooh, the doors locked, and mm. quote unquote working from home, right? Yeah. Are they investing in finding a way to make things to make things work? Strategies where maybe they can help put deals together. You know, in a in an environment where deals are a lot harder to come by right now. Who are you trusting with that information? Yeah.
0: No, that's Who are you a great trusting point. Trusting
1: with those opportunities, so. I just thought it was it was it's a sign of the times, and it's I mentioned that, and it's not the first time we've heard that. No, and we've you, had we've had vendors come in town, and they go and visit some of their clients, and nobody saw them, right?
0: Yep. And you told me this vendor in particular, like they they get a ton of data, like a ton. You were telling me this pre-show, ton of data and all this stuff. What did they? What was it they were saying about the amount of loan officer data that they're getting about loan officers going into next year? They kind of hinted towards. Maybe a non-renewal, like a person, like they thought maybe like a part of the industry, like a massive amount's not going to renewal going into next year. Like there was more than it. half. I, yeah. I
1: can't remember the specific number, but I think it was more than half of of what of of the total number of licensed. Mortgage loan officers, and
0: that kind of goes in line with what our friends over at NBS Highway have been talking about. They said we started the year at 160, we're already down to 90,000. I mean, it's only another 10,000 for that to, to get to that half, but it sounds like that's what's happening here. And you know, and that's that's maybe why the lights are off and no one's home. So maybe
1: a good question for your loan officer is, do you intend to renew your license? <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you intend to stay in the business? Right. Well, you know, these are the times that will test you. You know, but uh, if you want to see this graph and these details, I just think it's super interesting. Uh, whether you know you're a real estate agent or you're a lender, this is going to be in our YouTube channel at what's your one worth number one, check it out, subscribe. Uh, you know, we definitely would uh, like to get your feedback on there. And uh, it's some good stuff, Daniel, you've put together here. Yeah, if
1: you're an agent or a loan officer, and you got questions about how to put this together, find us.
0: Yeah. And I tell you what, we're going to address the a million dollar question, which is what have rates done? Have they found their peak? Are we at the end of the tunnel? And you know, the job market? What's going on? We got our first negative reports that came out and kind of indicated what we've been saying for close to a year here. But first, this commercial break, and we'll be right back. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family, and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. All right. So the million dollar question, I mean, I got to know, like, I don't originate. And I get asked this question all the time. I can't imagine what you deal with on the sales front with the sales team and and the consumer front. But the million dollar question is, you know, what are rates going to do? And I know we've talked about it all the time. But have, you know, have we have we reached the peak? Like, do you think is there room to go higher? Are we going to go higher? Or have we just kind of said, hey, listen, this is it. Or, or is there more to come?
1: Well, it's funny, no matter what interest rates are doing, when they were in the twos, we still got the questions <laughs> about what are interest rates going to do, right? Fair so enough. It's always the question, but in my opinion, in my you know, first prediction of lower rates in the spring, obviously didn't come true. So maybe, maybe hold what I say with a grain yet. of salt.
0: Yet. Yeah, yet. yet. Just, timelines just, are the differential
1: what here. What is that saying? We didn't, we didn't lose. We just ran out of time. That's right. Uh, but yeah, um, So, with regards to mortgage rates, I would argue that they have found their peak. Mm -hmm. I would argue that 8% was the peak and a massive market overreaction to a few of the things that we talked about actually in the last lending update. Right. Uh, I think the only thing that would test mortgage rates with respect to the peak or maybe move them higher would be if jobless claims were to continue to decline, which we're starting to see the opposite now. Mm -hmm. But if they were to continue to decline or somehow significantly stronger jobs numbers surfaced, uh, which I don't think that the backdrop of where we're headed and all of the data that we have, I don't think that you could expect that to happen. Right. But in my opinion, I think that you've seen the peak of interest rates at 8%. And while the rest of this year, we may hover kind of where we're at right now, I think that it sets up nicely as we move into next year. There's, there's, a, there's a, a way that you could see mortgage rates start to come down as we move into 2024.
0: Yeah, it does feel that way. And it also feels that Powell and company have showed their hand as much as they can to the markets of, you know, we're going to continue to evaluate the data as it comes in. Tomorrow we get the CPI. By the time this podcast drops, the CPI core will already be out, but it's not out yet. It comes out in the next 24 hours. So by the time this drops, that'll be there. We are anticipating for it to be month over month lesser than it's been. The overall to come down. The core to remain flat or come down a little bit. All those things are anticipated. But what you're seeing is that the markets are baked in. That's why these rates are in the eights as we talk. They've baked in what Powell and company have said, which is we're going to continue to evaluate but we're also prepared to have higher rates for longer meaning the fed funds rate remains elevated for longer it may not go up but right now it's elevated this is this is elevated we actually have real interest rates for the first time and for our audience what that means is when the fed funds rate is above inflation that's a real interest rate and that differential is called a real interest rate we also are seeing let's turn it to the consumer side we're also seeing real rates on the consumer side now higher than the Fed funds rate. That's also the sign of a real rate. So everything is where they need it to be, but he's saying it could be there longer. So what does Wall Street do? They react. What do interest rates do in the bond market? They react. So that's why we're seeing elevated rates. And to your point, I agree with you. That's why I think it's going to be, we've already peaked. Yeah, and
1: the Feds are trying to, to inject as much calm into the market as possible with their 100%. commentary yep. without giving reason for optimism. Yes. So they're yes. saying just enough to try to keep you, you know, rates can they're where they are, right. They right. don't want, they don't want treasuries to spike out of control. We talked about that. They're, they're doing everything they can to keep them where they're at without giving anybody a glimmer of hope that maybe the markets would rally behind. They're
0: doing the opposite of Ted Lasso. They want you to remain <laughs> calm, but not get real fired up, That's right? That's
1: right. That's what they don't want. That's right. No, no highs or lows That's right, right now. But, um, but yeah, so middle of October, not a good time for mortgage rates. We, we went over 8%. Not our best. Um, you know, mortgage applications obviously declined as a result of that. Mm-hmm. We talked about that really more so in the last lending update, and we recorded that right as all of that was transpiring. And uh, as we record, uh, week before last, so last week of October, first week of November, essentially we saw interest rates come down about a half percent in the course of a week, which mm-hmm. was one of the larger moves in recorded history. So a really good week for mortgage rates. All that to say, we're still somewhere in the mid-sevens, right? Yeah. Uh, But better than eight. Seven's better than eight. Six is better than seven. Um, But essentially, it was all on the heels of job data. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the first below-expectation print on jobs that we've gotten, but it was the first time that we got both the ADP side and the BLS side,
0: Bureau of Labor and Statistics, to both reflect the same thing. Yeah, we both had them saying the same thing for the first time, not being opposite of one another, kind of ruining the rally that we were anticipating. In September, ADP came in way under... Where they were anticipating, and
1: BLs blew it out of the water, <laughs> double what was expected. So it was the first time that they've matched, and and that was you know, it, uh, almost a running joke. Yeah. at this point in the industry, that whatever ADP says, you can expect BLs to say the opposite. So it was nice to see them on the same page, uh, and they were both pretty, you know, pretty significantly twenty, thirty percent below the number of jobs that they were expecting to create.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Which for our listeners, that's not a great sign for the economy, but it also is a positive sign to the Federal Reserve that what they're doing is starting to show up. And some will argue it's a lag effect, right? Some will argue that, hey, listen, you know, they've pumped so much interest rate medicine into the market, it takes time for that to show up and work. Uh, I think we've been waiting on that to show up and show up and it finally did. And that's kind of what we're seeing. But at the same time, you want to see more people getting back to work just as a decent human being. You want to see that, but don't forget that this is part of the agenda of the Federal Reserve, is to have a softening of the labor market. That is their intent, and now you're starting to see that intent show up.
1: Yeah, and, and I, feel, I feel like we constantly have to make this disclaimer. We do not want people to lose their jobs, right? No, not you know, at as, all. As individuals, right? Yeah, we're, we are we're not talking, cheering
0: behind the scenes for this. But
1: talking in the context of mortgage rates, softening of the job market is a good thing for interest rates. Now, hopefully the Fed doesn't take it too far and they know when to reverse course before it spirals badly the other way, Right. Right. But it's not just less jobs, it's also more continuing declines in wage growth. So mm-hmm. wage growth is still a positive number, meaning people are making more year over year, but you've had 16 straight months of that number coming down, which means that they're just making less than they were before, right? Yes. So every month, they're, they're the increase, you know, the increase year over year is coming down.
0: And we continue to get hammered on our social medias for this. And if you want proof, just go to what's your one more with the number one on our IG account. That's where most of the hammering takes place on this topic matter. But we continue to get hammered. Well, I guess YouTube as well in the shorts. We get hammered by people going, hey, listen, you know, you guys, you know, corporate bullies, this and that. And like we're advocating for people to lose their jobs or not get paid more. That's not what we're doing. I mean, we want people, if if it's possible, right, that the, the the best thing that could happen here was that we have more jobs, people make more money, but they save more. And I think that's the missing component here is that historically, when wage growth is up, we are spending more and we are in an environment right now where we need that to not happen. Now, I know the argument, again, I've heard it all, I've read them all, the comments. You know, don't hey, by the way, don't think I don't read your comments. I just don't respond to all of them. But I will tell you that from the standpoint of groceries are up, like the needs and necessities. I get that. And that's, that I do agree with some of that stuff being kind of um, inflated beyond that greedflation mark we're talking about. But I don't want to get it twisted. Daniel and I are not sitting here saying you shouldn't get paid more. You know, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying that unfortunately, in order for the Federal Reserve to achieve what their agenda, they want job softening labor of the market and a 2% inflation. That's the target here.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, I, there's probably very few industries that, um, react inversely to the economy. Sure. So I can only speak as a you know, a mortgage lender. When people are gainfully employed and they make more money, we do more loans. That's That's a fact. <laughs> so, that's a fact. So we want people to be employed. We want them to make
0: more money. We want our move up buyers to come back, right? And uh, we miss you, move up buyers. Yes. Um, and for the gainfully unemployed that continue to respond on our YouTube channel, I don't have a lot of recommendations for those comments that are on there. I don't know how to help those particular right. uh, dealers, if you may.
1: Yeah, and, and a couple other things on the the job picture. Uh, the, the guys over at NBS Highway, the guys and gals over at NBS mm-hmm. Highway uh, get all the credit for this. But the the average hourly, the average hours worked went down from thirty four point four to thirty four point three hours per week. And if you are listening to this, you might think, okay, well, that's like, who cares, right? Right. But that 10th of an hour differential is the equivalent of 2 million job losses. So think about when, that. When you look at the labor picture, what you've got now is wage growth is slowing. Mm-hmm. Um, people are quitting their jobs less, which people only really quit their jobs generally for a better, higher-paying job. So that's at pre, pre-pandemic lows. Um, employers are cutting hours. We just talked about the effects of what that is. Mm-hmm. So if you don't you don't want to lay off your workers, but you cut, cut their hours, effectively you can reduce your costs that way, right? Correct. And you generally would do that before you go to layoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the unemployment rate has gone from 3.4 to 3.9% this year. Uh, it's taking people longer to find a job when they lose their job. Continuing jobless claims continue to increase, meaning that I've lost my job, and I'm continuing on unemployment because I can't find a suitable job. And the number of people working multiple jobs is at all-time highs.
0: Those two, I heard two things out of those seven bullet points that just, you know, stand off to me. Um, and again, those seven bullet points will be on our YouTube channel. You can check them out at What's Your One More. But we had unemployment go from 3.5 to 3.9. 3.5 to 3.9. That's a, that's a big jump from the beginning of the year to now. That 0.4% represents a ton of unemployment. That is huge. You don't normally see the needle move like that. So the Federal Reserve is getting their agenda accomplished with what they're doing. And you know, a lot of people ask, and again, I've had this battle online: why would the why would raising short-term interest rates affect unemployment? And we've talked about that over and over again. But it directly it, it constricts jobs because of the tightening of the labor market. Because what what's happened is they the companies no longer are expanding. They're not using that cheap money to create a new product, new facility and new jobs. So then they turn to their biggest expense to basically satisfy the investors, which happens to be payroll. And that's how unemployment kind of is the, the, the loser, if you may, in that particular part of the equation with the federal reserve trying to tighten. The other thing is record people, all time high, second jobs. Yep. That right there tells me no matter what side of the table you're on, the administration that's telling me right now we have a strong economy, if the signs don't, reciprocate that message. And I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat up there. You can't tell me that that is a strong labor market and that we have a strong economy right now because you know all-time low, or excuse me, all-time high in second jobs, we have one of the lowest savings rate of record right now. I mean, highest credit card debt of record, Like these are not strong indicators of a strong economy.
1: Well, it's important to note too, the unemployment rate comes from the household survey portion of the Bureau of Labor Statistics jobs report. So right. when that report comes out, there's a business survey, and there's a household survey. Mm-hmm. And as a business, maybe you'd be more inclined to report all of the jobs that you've created, even if they're part-time jobs. The household survey, though, is what people are actually saying.
0: Yeah, it's like what you, me, and Charlie would say if they called
1: And And those people are saying, hey, I'm losing full-time jobs, and I'm taking part-time jobs to try to supplement the income. And that's where the unemployment rate comes from as well. So that that data is directly derived from what households are saying about what's going on in the job market
0: yeah and and to show you some of this job creation that goes into the bls there's a real outdated metric in there called the birth death rate model where essentially the birth death rate model has nothing to do with actually people it has to do with jobs how many new jobs are created and then how many jobs have actually fallen off or excuse me how many new businesses are created and how many businesses have basically shut down and the thought process was in this birth of new businesses that you would just hire all these people and all these jobs would be created. When in fact, I don't think that kind of works with today's thought processes because there's a lot of independent contractors that turn into LLCs that aren't necessarily hiring tens of people. And so the, there is an argument, there's a flaw in that job creation model as well and that birth death rate model.
1: Yeah, I think there's probably a number of flaws in which I'm not an economist and I don't produce you know data for the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's probably hard to extrapolate what's going on with hundreds of millions of Americans, but the jobs reports are, they, they make assumptions and revisions and they create the numbers based on a bunch of assumptions. They don't sure. just count up the total number of jobs that were created and that's your number. Whereas ADP, I mean, they, they service so many private Prime payroll sectors. companies that you yep. probably get a more representative number when you look at adp because they are actually counting payrolls that's correct and once again i'm not an economist and I, I certainly you know there's probably no way to get that number perfect but once you start figuring in listen the 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 last two months for the job report that came out in october there were a hundred thousand adjusted numbers to the previous two months so that's like a third of the <laughs> of the jobs that were created or or more, and so, the adjustment
0: wasn't a positive adjustment it's ne-
1: negative adjustment, right. but anytime you can adjust something by a hundred thousand and the number was maybe four hundred and fifty thousand to begin with, and you know I don't, I don't recall what exactly what it is, but my point is, like that's how can you rely on that information right right. right. so it's interesting, but I think that to to bring it home here, it, it, the jobs data is continuing to show weakness, which we've talked about. And I think that you can say with near certainty that if if the jobs market continues to show weakness, that you will see lower rates. The Federal Reserve will probably be less inclined to to hike rates and more inclined to consider, okay, at what point do we cut rates? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's coming tomorrow, but (laughs) you get two or three or four more prints with jobs data showing a a weakening job market. And I think that you probably, that's why I say the, the backdrop, the landscape of lower interest rates next year, starts to become a lot, you can see the the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Uh, I think the one thing that's still interesting is initial jobless claims are still not really rising considerably. Actually, they were in the mid 200,000s, so that's how many people per week are losing their jobs. Came all the way down, uh, probably a month ago, it came in under 200,000, so there's kind of this strange reversal where there were a lot less jobless claims. It started to tick up again, but I think that's really the the last piece, in my opinion, of when you'll really start to see lower interest rates is as you see the jobless claim data continue to tick up. I think that's kind of the missing piece of where the feds will say, okay, we can see the writing on the wall a little bit here.
0: Well, and to your point, for those that aren't aware, every Thursday we get a jobless claims report. That is the only real-time really metric we get on jobs and job losses. And that's people that are going to the unemployment line and claiming unemployment. And there's a secondary factor index that comes out or data set is the continuing claims. And that's people that continue to file for unemployment, right? And that's up too. So you're seeing, you're seeing those numbers into your point. If those start to come in higher than expectations, and the claim continued. Claims continue to rise. Um, that's when you think that you might see some sort of pivot. You might see some sort of change in policy of the rates, whether remain the same or raising. You might start seeing some lowering of those those and, Fed funds rates. And
1: we've said it a few times. You know these things happen slowly and then all at once. Hmm. So if the jobless claims break above, you know, mid two hundred thousands and and continue to climb, that's kind of something where you can maybe see a little bit quicker action in terms of maybe we need to start cutting rates. Right. And we didn't really talk much about inflation in this <laughs> update here because, quite frankly, I don't think it matters anymore. Well, because tomorrow it's,
0: the index, we start seeing two indexes come out yeah, over the next two days. But
1: it's all jobs at this point. Yeah. But basically, we usually go a lot deeper into inflation. The, the long story short is PCE, which is Personal Consumption Expenditures, is what the feds have turned their attention to for how they want to gauge 2% inflation. And that number came down again, although it came down from three three point five to three point four. The core rate without food and energy came down from three point nine to three point seven. So still baby steps lower, not as quickly as the Feds would like, and obviously we're nowhere close to two percent on that. Um, but it still continues to come down.
0: We weren't we weren't at nine percent long ago. I mean we've made significant strides here. Right. So they, I think that needs to be kind of you know I, I beat the heck out of Jerome Powell. I still think he's not he's going to go down as one of the worst chairmen. But Hats off. They are getting the inflation down. At what cost, though? There comes the question. Right, At right. what cost to the economy is this going to happen? I think that's the question. But uh, to your point, we are seeing some decline in those numbers, getting closer to that 2% rate rate. So
1: we'll get more inflation data tomorrow. Hopefully that will continue. You know, And, and even if it's small steps down, it's, it's progress in the right direction and it's one more variable that hopefully we don't have to worry about leading to more rate hikes. So they can keep their attention on what's going on with the job market.
0: Absolutely. Good stuff on here today. Appreciate you coming on the show, sharing this. Uh, Man, I love that move, move up buyer situation. I really hope our audience honed in on that and sees that whether you're a lender or whether you're a real estate agent. I mean, what a great tool to take To that move up buyer and share with them. So, thanks for bringing that as well as the other great things you did on the lending update here today, Dan. Absolutely. All right, guys, if you want to find out more information, check us out on Apple, Spotify, Google. We'd love to get a five star review from you. Heck, we'd love to get a four star review. Definitely not three or below, but four or five be great. Leave some comments for us. We'd love to have that. Check us out on our socials at What's Your One More. Till the next time, till Dan's back, to the next lending update, we will see you guys at What's Your One More.
1: I got one more shot. I'm going to make it. One more chance. I'm going to take it.
0: Man, and when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put them all into it. Yeah.